searching for something, seeking. You are, uh, you are interested in your faith, growing, becoming stronger. In fact, some of you are new here. And today's your first time or you've been here a handful of times. And just even by coming back to church, maybe it was a part of a new year, new start for you. Or maybe there was a season recently where you went through some hard times and you've come back to church. And you're doing that because you want to take a step in faith. And just by being here is kind of setting some new priorities in your life. And I'm just so grateful you're here because I know what a big leap of faith. I know what stepping out, what that meant. For some of you, you're here every Sunday and you've been doing this for years, just being a part of church. And even if it wasn't this church, it was another church or you moved from another town and you came from that church to this church. But church on Sunday mornings has been a part of your life. And, and I'm just, I just know that faith is a priority f- for you. So, so having said that, knowing that you were here because faith is a priority, the question that we really need to talk about today is how do we grow in faith? Because, you know, you don't graduate from faith. It's not like, well, I'm done. How do you grow? Or maybe this is a better way to put it. How do you get from point A to, to point B? How do you get all the way from, from point A to point B? How do you go from this starting point that, that you're at to, to get to, to point B? What is, what is that look like? How, how do you get to where you want to be in 2030? If, if point B is this idea of a person that you want to become by the time in 10 years, that you want to actually own the decade, how do you get there? You might even have a vision of what that looks like. You might even have someone in mind that you would say, I want to be like them when I grow up. Do you know somebody like that? Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a small group leader. It's someone in your life whose faith is important to you. And you say, I want to be like them when I grow up. So how do we get from point A to point B? So here's what I want to talk about, uh, uh, just to talk about how to grow in faith and what point A is for you. So for how long have you been at point A? Have you been in kind of a holding pattern at point A? Or really, what is point A for you? And the reason I ask that question is because I want to start today and I want to talk today in this pat because this passage that we're going to read today, it goes on the assumption that point A is Christians. So we're going to talk today a message for those who consider themselves followers of Jesus. So I want to say a word because some of you haven't made it to point A yet. And you're here. I'm so grateful because you're curious you're interested in Jesus. You're searching Jesus. You're seeking some things out. You're, you're wanting to learn more about Jesus and you're going to be here. So I I just want to tell you today that I'm going to talk to people who have already made it to point A, but if you haven't yet, can I just share a word with you really quickly? If you're here and you're seeking and searching and you, you're not sure where you're at with Jesus, I want to tell you something. We exist for you. We exist so that you would know God. We exist so that, so that you could come to faith in, in Christ because we believe something really important, that not only does Jesus love you, that Jesus actually died for you. Because, and this is why this is good news. There are a lot of people who are confused about faith and God. There are a lot of people who think that you have to do good things in order to get God's attention. Because a lot of people think that good people go to heaven. That's what a lot of people think. 
And so you're trying to do good things to get God's attention because you want to go to heaven because nobody wants to go to the other place. And sometimes we go to church because we figure out, we guess good people go to church, right? But here's, here's the problem with that. That's not the story of Jesus at all in the Bible. The story of Jesus in the Bible is completely different that God came to earth in Jesus because none of us are good enough. Because none of us measure up, because none of us have have done a good enough things, because we are all sinners. So if you hadn't made it to point A yet, I want to tell you something. This may seem like bad news, but there's going to be some good news. You're a sinner. But here's the good news with you. The person beside you who's been in church their whole life, they're a sinner. We're all sinners. And God became man in Jesus to come to earth, not to just point us into to seeing what a good human could look like and not to punish us for our sins, but to take the punishment for us to give us forgiveness for our sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead to give us final victory over the sin. And here's how we know this, not because it's written in this book, Because what is in this book that tells this story was written by actual people. Because Matthew was an eyewitness and he wrote about it and told about it. And because John was an eyewitness and he wrote about it and he told about it. Because Mark was close to the events. Because a man named Luke was close to the events. Because Peter was an eyewitness and he believed it and he wrote it. Because James, Jesus' own brother believed his own brother was the son of God resurrected. And because Paul wrote about it and he was close to the events and every single one of them gave their life for what they wrote and they believe. I mean, don't you think one of them would go, I was just kidding, please don't cut my head off. Don't you think just one of them would? They all said, I cannot deny what I have seen with my own two eyes and what I have experienced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And we believe that this gives us final victory over sin and death and eternal life. And you get this presence of God in your life and you get this Jesus in your life and you get the eternal life that Jesus promised in heaven, not by doing good things. You could never do enough good things. You do it by this amazing thing we call grace. It's free. And this is a crazy thing. All right, listen, all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe. That's what those of us in the church call this word being saved. Saved. That's a churchy word, isn't it? In fact, just preachers have been talking about that. We need to get saved. Somebody needs to get saved today. I've been saying that for a long time. There, it, it goes with other church buzzwords like uh, accept Christ or make a profession of faith. And listen, that's our point A. That's the point A that this conversation and this scripture that we're going to talk about begins with today. Being saved, having accepted Christ. And if that's not you, I hope you'll take a step toward just believing. And if you need to pray with somebody in our prayer room after the service, we're going to have some people there that would love to pray with you. If you need to go to the connect booth, I'll be at the connect booth and some other team members will be at the connect booth and we'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you made that decision personally and inwardly, but you've never made that made known publicly. And we'd love to get you signed up for our next baptism Sunday. We want you to do that. But for the rest of the time, I want to talk to all the saved people in the room. All right. 
So because this won't make sense, this passage won't make sense if you're not saved. It starts with the presumption of saved. If you haven't gotten to point A yet, you can still do everything that we're going to talk about. It's just that the starting point here. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a group of Christians in a community called Philippi. Now, in in the Bible, we call this book Philippians. And sometimes in modern day church world, we call it the Philippian church. But I don't think they had a sign out front that said Philippian church. I don't even think they had a building. It was just a group of Christians, a small band of Christians who were some of the very first Christians in the ancient world, like all of these little bands of Christians were. And this is what the Apostle Paul is writing this letter in this little section is really talking about how to get from point A to point B. How to get, so what is B? If point A is someone who is saved, someone who has made a profession of faith, what, what is point B? Well, one word we might have for it would be a disciple. A true disciple of Jesus, or as Pastor Bill Elder, our founding pastor says, and I've used this language before uh, for a long time too, a deeply devoted follower of Jesus. Not just someone who's prayed a prayer, not just someone who says, oh yeah, I got saved. Not just someone who says, I got baptized, but someone who was deeply devoted, a follower of Jesus. So what Paul would say is this isn't just about that person that you would say, I want to be like them when you grow up. This is what Paul would say. I want to try to teach you how to be like Jesus when you grow up, to actually be his model the model of faith that he is, a disciple of Jesus. So listen to this presumption that Paul writes in Philippians 2. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one at the uh, stations as you go back. We've got some shelves there with some free Bibles because we believe that one of the things disciples do is they study the scriptures. And I want you to study this a little bit further for yourselves. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if, help me out, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. If God has done anything for you, if you've gotten any love, if you've gotten any encouragement, if you, if listen, if getting saved has made any difference in your life, Paul says, any love, any common, any tenderness, any compassion. If you have just at any point in your life after you said yes to Jesus, you have felt any blessing. If God has done anything in your life, and then he writes this interesting word, then. It's really important that it says that. Because what Paul is saying is if you have been saved, if you have had a experience with God, if if you have felt any encouragement from being one with Christ, from being forgiven of your sins, from forgetting God's tenderness and compassion, if you have gotten anything from God, then this is how you should respond. What he's saying is then what I'm going to write next, you need to perk your ears up and listen. Because this is the response if God has made any difference in your life. So you see why I said point A is salvation? Because if, God, if you're not sure where you're at with God yet, then there is no then. Because the problem is a lot of us think what comes here is because. Oh, I've gotten God's love or I've gotten compassion or I've gotten encouragement or I've gotten salvation because of what I've done. And you see, it just never works that way. 
But that's what a lot of people think that I said earlier. A lot of people think that we get God's love because of what we do, that we get God's attention because of what we do. But you will drive yourself crazy trying to do enough good things to get God's attention. You don't need to get his attention. It's free. He's got your picture on his fridge. He created you in his image. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. It is all free. There is not a because. It's a then. It's different. It's a then. If you have any common sharing of the spirit and any tenderness and compassion, it's not because. It's then. What he's saying is then this is what you should do. This is the response you should have in your life if you've been saved. And this is what he says in the next verse. Then, if you have any comfort, any comfort from his love, then this is what you should do. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. The first step, the first step is to be a community characterized by unity. Love and oneness are the marks of a community formed by the people of God. Paul's not saying you can't disagree, but we should, we should have a like-mindedness. And then he takes things in a pretty radical direction. He says, this is the like-mindedness you should have. All right? This is the like-mindedness. It's not saying you can't disagree. It's not saying you can't cheer for different teams. not saying you might not vote for different people. not saying you might not have different convictions and different values. But Paul said you should have a like-mindedness, and this should be the value. This is the kind of like-mindedness I want you to have. Do nothing... Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, would you say this with me? Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to each of you, the interest of others. Paul said the marks of people who were responding to the love, encouragement, comfort, and, the, and faith that we have in Jesus Christ. The response to people who would say that God has done anything for us, God has done something, is that we should have, we should do nothing out of selfishness. We should do nothing out of vain conceit. We should do nothing out of our own self-interest. Now, I don't think most of us do anything selfishly on purpose. Right? I mean, do, most of us, even in the church, don't do, we're not self seeking on purpose. But I think that this has crept into American Christianity in a word, a phrase, a concept with which you may not be familiar. But in minister world, in, in pastor world, we talk about this word a lot. And, and I want to kind of explain it to you if you've never heard it. And this is the phrase consumer Christianity. Now, that may be a new word for you. It may be an old word for you. It's a terrible ec- epidemic in the American church. But I, I've got a confession to make. <clears throat> it's my fault. And it's, it's all the pastor's fault. And it's all the church leader's fault. <clears throat> because we did something. We created churches based on the needs of consumers. Not, I don't know if this is all bad. Like, it's like, for instance, 
There was just at some point in church history, we looked out and we figured out that people like going to shopping malls and don't like going to buildings with big, tall, intimidating steeples. So we built churches to look like shopping malls. We figured out that for a long time, it bugged people to see signs on sanctuary doors that said no food or drink. You remember those signs? No food. So we said, why don't instead, why, that's not what consumers want. Why don't we instead, why don't we make the best coffee that we can afford and tell them, bring your coffee in. We discovered that people like sitting in those comfy seats instead of hard wooden pews. Amen. <clears throat> I mean, we can install some hard wooden pews if y'all want to. No. We discovered that classical music is not on top 40 radio. So we ditched robes and choirs and our church music became sounding a lot more like top 40 music. And we did all this for a reason that we think we wanted to reach a culture that the church was not reaching to share an unchanging message. We believed this. This is what church leaders like me believed for the last 20, 30, 40 years in this movement. That people were hungry for the message if we could just change the methods and break down the barriers. And guess what? We were right. We were right. Now, you don't know this because this is, this is preacher stuff. There's a, there's a magazine called Outreach Magazine. It's kind of one of the leading ministry magazines. They put out a list every year of the fastest growing, 100 growing churches in America and the largest 100 churches in America. There's a lot of crossover in there, but um, overall it ends up being about 130, 140 kind of top churches. On both lists, fastest growing and largest, almost every one of them are in this model. Almost every one of them have that model that they look like what we do at Mountaintop. They share our DNA. And listen, I want to tell you something. I am all about it. I am all about it because I believe this is a part of one of the great spiritual awakenings in America. When the church of Jesus Christ decided that we are not about methods, we are about the message of Jesus Christ. But there is a danger if we don't teach well, disciple well, and lead well. It's so shiny and pretty. And it can be really easy to come sit in one of our shiny and pretty theater auditoriums with the comfy seat and our nice cup of coffee and watch a service performed by professional Christians and just leave. And it can lead to a mindset that says, Cultural Christianity is kind of like this. This is the mindset. If all this was for me, isn't it all about me? Oh, it's deadly. And it's, it's so subtle. If all this is for me, isn't it all about me? And Paul says that we are not to do anything. That once we have received Christ, it is not about selfish ambition or vain conceit or our own interest. So here, and here's a good working definition of consumer Christianity. When you follow Jesus, but ask what the church can do for you instead of asking what you can do for the church so that others may follow Jesus. Let me read that again. I don't think that made a dent. When you follow Jesus... 
but ask what the church can do for you. Why won't you start this ministry for my age group? Why won't you do this thing? Cause it's what my small group wants to do. Why won't you do this? Because this is my interest. Yeah, I follow Jesus, but I would like you to meet my needs. Why don't you hire staff to minister to my stage of life? Why don't you do something for me instead of asking pastor, staff leader, youth pastor, children's pastor, what can I do for the church so that others may know Jesus like I know him? That's a vastly different mindset. One is characterized by selfishness and vain conceit and your own interest. Another is characterized by selflessness and doing nothing out of vain conceit and doing nothing out of anything that we won't do. Listen, here's the problem. If a church is filled with too many consumers, they will literally consume the church until there is nothing left of it. And Paul is saying, be a producer. Do nothing out of our own self-interest. What does that look like, you might ask? Well, Paul would say, glad you ask. Here's what it looks like. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul would say, in your, in your relationships... You want to be, here's what I want you to do. When you grow up, I want you to be like Jesus. And then most scholars believe that Paul quotes an a early worship song. This is like by the first Hillsong United or the first Elevation Worship. That this was a, most scholars believe that this was a song that the early Christians, and it's almost like he's saying, don't you remember that this is what you sing? Don't you remember that this is what we believe? And he says this, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Who being in the very nature God the Apostle John writes that, that Jesus was God and was with God in the beginning. That in Genesis, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there. Paul later writes that it is by him and through him that all things were made. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords over all creation. But instead of using that position and that title and that posture to his own advantage, he took on the nature of a servant by becoming, by being made in human likeness, by taking on our form where our knees hurt sometime, by taking on a human body where we get headaches sometime, by taking on a fr the frailness of human life. And it says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let me summarize this whole passage for you. If Jesus had any impact on your life, put others first and follow his example by serving. If Jesus had any, any impact on your life, then follow his example by serving. Or let me just do it. This is really simple. Saved people serve. Saved people serve. Not to get God's love, not to get God's approval. Saved people serve because God has been working in us, because God has spoken to us, because God has given his son so, so freely for us. We serve because we take on the example of Christ and we serve because of God's approval already. Paul says that something is missing if we don't 
If we don't use our faith, our faith will atrophy, our muscle will atrophy and we'll stay in point A for a long time. Listen, church, sitting in church isn't enough. I'm glad you're here. But if this is all you ever do for the next 10 years, you will still be at point A in 2030. There's got to be more for our faith to grow. And so I just want to give you an idea that might change your life over the next decade. It's spiritual weightlifting, all right? If you would just surf, save people, surf. Next week, you see this, you got this when you came in. All along this, this hallway behind you, there's going to be tables set up with all of our serve teams. And there's all kind of things to do. There's greeters, there's children's ministry, there's student ministry, there's, um, uh, there's a traffic team, a security team, media team. Do you know we have a team of guys, it's mostly guys that get here early on Sunday mornings to flip some of our preschool rooms downstairs from day school rooms to Sunday morning children's rooms, they mostly move furniture and put out rugs. They call themselves the rug rats. There's all kinds of ways to serve. So next week, we'll have th- that and an opportunity and an opportunity to sign up for all of our small groups at our small groups fair and our serve teams sign up fair. This is radical. What if you just signed up for one? What if you said, I'm saved, so I should serve? Because of what Christ Jesus has done for me, it's the least I can do. You see the difference? Not because I ought to. Because of what Jesus has done in me and for me, because he has saved me, the least I can do is move some rugs a couple of Sunday mornings a month. Because of what Christ has done for me, the least I can do is get here early a couple Sundays a month and greet people. Because of what Christ has done for me, the least I can do is give up an hour to teach elementary children. Because of what Christ has done for me, the least I can do is trade my comfy seat for one of those stools looking through a camera. Because of what Christ Jesus has done for me. If you've been at A for a while and you haven't made it to B, it might be because you haven't served. If you've been at A for a while and you haven't made it to B, it might be because you've gotten really comfortable where you're serving and it doesn't take a lot of effort and maybe God's calling you to move out of your comfort zone. Now, some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking, I get it. He's just trying to guilt us into getting more volunteers, right? That's what it is. Boy, they must be short on volunteers. I just believe what Paul's saying. And that you will become like Jesus if you won't act out of selfish ambition and you will put others ahead of yourself and you will consider others' needs more important yourself. You see, here's what I think. And I think that when you get here early so that you can make coffee or put out rugs or greet or stand in the cold to wave somebody in, I think you're doing that because you're putting others ahead of yourself. And I think that'll be good for your soul. I think if you change a baby's diaper whom you are not related to, that is impossible to do out of selfish ambition. Amen? I didn't like changing my own baby's diapers. 
I think that if you say, you know what? I'm going to give up an hour and I'm going to worship at 930, but I'm going to teach nine-year-olds at 1115, or I'm going to teach nine-year-olds at 930, and I'm going to worship at 1115. I think if you do that, then you are putting their interest ahead of yours because you could be doing a million different things in that hour, but you're going to say, I'm going to give it to them. And I think God will do something in your life. Saved people serve because it is just who we are. We model selflessness of Jesus. And what if we were all producers and not consumers of the church? God's got big dreams for this church. I believe that. Big dreams. I mean, like we talk about like moving the curtains. We want to move those curtains. I don't think God wants to move those curtains. I think God wants to blow out the walls and make it all bigger. Those curtains are like nothing to God. I think God wants campuses all across Birmingham and maybe Alabama and maybe other states. I think God wants to change people's lives in ways that we could never imagine. And to do that, we need a team of servants, an army of servants committed to say, I'm going to do it for others because of what Christ has done for me. Hey, pastor, hey, staff leader, what can I do for the church so that others can experience what I have experienced? We Listen, we will never be able to hire enough staff to reach the people we need to reach in this city. It is impossible. And when you sign up to serve, you are joining the mission and joining the team because here's what I want to tell you. The sermon starts in the parking lot. And every experience a newcomer experiences preaches a message before I preach the message. Did you know that? If it was confusing where to park, we just preached a message. Before I preach the message. If nobody smiled and said hello when they walk in the front door, we just preached a message before I preached the message. If it's chaos checking in your child, we just preached a message before I preached the message. If the coffee is awful, we just preached a message instead of the message. If the words are misspelled on the screen, if the camera shot isn't quite right, if there's nowhere that no one ever comes and takes up the money where they're at and there's no offering and they're confused where to put the connection card. You see, we preach a million messages before I ever stand up to preach the message and it will not matter, friends, how good of a message God might put in me on any given Sunday if we don't all preach the best message we can at every point that a newcomer experiences Mountaintop Church. We need you to accomplish the mission. We want to create a culture of serving here at Mountaintop because if you don't serve, you can't be like Jesus. And if you aren't like Jesus, you can't find your purpose because it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't on the throne of heaven that Jesus found his purpose. It was in the form of a servant that Christ found his purpose. And you won't find your purpose in that comfortable seat you're in. I don't want you to volunteer and serve because we need more volunteers. Though that's true. I don't want you to volunteer and serve because it'll help us reach more people. Though that's true. I want you to volunteer. I want you to serve because I want you to be more like Jesus. Because I think you'll find your, serve, your purpose 
in being a godly servant. And friends, godly servants don't have clean hands. And they don't have dirty hands or even calloused hands. Godly servants have nail-scarred hands. This is the model for what the hands of a servant look like. Saved people serve because we want to be like a Savior who served all the way to the cross and say, Lord, (laughs) because of what you did for me, it's the least I can do. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, God, I confess that um, it's complicated as a pastor, as a leader. We so desperately want to meet people where they are, God. Can I just share my heart with you, Lord? We so desperately want to meet people where they are. That's why we do things the way we do them. That's why we sing the songs we sing and and the music the way we do. That's why we embrace technology. That's why our facility looks the same, God, the way it does, God. We want to meet people where they are. We want people who have been uncomfortable with church their whole lives, who are unsure about you. We want to meet them where they are. But God, Lord, if my, my heart is a pastor, but I don't want to leave them there. Lord, it is my heart to shepherd people, not just to become Christians, but to become disciples. To find our purpose in serving. So this this isn't about us having more volunteers. This is about every person in this room saying, I'm going to let go of an hour. Because it's not about me. I'm going to get up a little earlier on on a couple Sundays a month because it's not about me. I'm going to volunteer with kids because I'm I'm uncomfortable, but because it's not about me. Lord, help us to find our purpose that's not about us. Help us to find our own nail-scarred hands to take up our cross and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to invite you um, as uh, we close with the band to come forward and, and pray. If you want to pray with somebody here, there'll be some of our folks here that will be happy to pray for you. Maybe you want to pray by yourself. And maybe you need to take some time to say, you know what, there's a reason you haven't volunteered. There's a reason you have served. And this is a start of a week of prayer for you to think about where God is leading you. So would you stand and let's sing together and worship our Savior. Worthy of every song could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring 
Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.